Well, good morning. My name is Devin Tharp. If you don't know me, I'm the family pastor here. I love what I get to do, serving families and serving marriages. And we're in a series called Love is in the Air. It's all about relationships. It's all about love. And that's partially because as a church, we've decided we really want to invest in marriages. And some of you might say, well, I'm I'm not married. You're not going to invest in me. Well, here's the thing. When we invest in marriages, it changes the landscape for everyone. Recently read a study of, of a city in Jacksonville, Florida. How could we change the entire city of Jacksonville? They were trying to figure that out. They figured out they could do four things that would change the entire city. Increase church attendance. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Increase the number of people who get married. Decrease the number of people who get divorced. And decrease the number of kids born out of wedlock. You do those four things, it changes the entire city. So some of you might say, well, marriage isn't really about me. It's about you because it changes everything. It changes our community. And so we've decided as a church we're going to invest in marriages, and we call that the beautiful marriage movement. And we want to invest in couples, whether they're uh, getting ready to be married or whether they are already married as well. And we do that through several different ways. One of the ways is we, we try to do that through putting information, little bits of content, on your feed. And so up on the screen, you'll see Facebook and Instagram. You can follow us at Beautiful Marriages. You can also go to beautifulmarriages.org, which, which is the website. It's got a lot of resources there, date night opportunities, conversation guides about all things that will inv- inv- be an investment in your relationship. So we hope you'll take advantage of that opportunity. Well, today we're in the second part of the series, Love is in the Air. I'd love for you to get your Bible out because we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35. You might have a Bible that looks like this. You might have it on your phone. Whatever way is fine. Whatever method you choose, that's fine with us. If you don't even have a Bible, that's okay too. We'll put it up on the screen at just the right time so you can see it in that moment, because we believe that it's important for you to have a face-to-face encounter with God's Word. Because here's what we believe about this library that I hold in my hands, and that's, that is it, that this isn't a book, kind of looks like a book, but it is actually a library. It contains 66 books, and we believe that this library is unlike any other on planet Earth, that God inspired these words. So we believe that this library is inspired, it's eternal, and it's true. So a good shepherd, whenever we get ready to read the scriptures, we do this kind of odd thing. We lift it up, and it's our way to say that we acknowledge this comes from the Lord, and we submit to his authority in our life. Amen? One other thing I'd love to do is to pray. So you pray for me as you pray with me. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We thank you and praise you for your word, that it is truly inspired, that it's eternal, that it will outlast all of us. And that it's true. God, we want to engage with your truth this morning. So as we do, God, would you change our hearts? Would you mold our minds? Would you take our hands and feet and use us to bring glory and honor to your name? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, back in college, I was dating my wife, who is my wife now, Tia, And we went to church every Sunday. And the church that we went to actually had a worship service that was two hours long. That's right, two hours long. So halfway through the service, they had what was called halftime. 
And I loved halftime because you could get up during halftime. You could go grab a cup of hot chocolate or coffee if that's your thing. Ugh, coffee. Um, and a donut. And you can enjoy that while you're fellowshipping and, and talk, chatting with friends. And, and you, you heard that right. This church served donuts every single Sunday. That is my kind of church. And let me tell you, I don't know who we got to talk to. If there's a board member in the room, you might want to add that to the agenda next month because I think we need to talk about donuts every Sunday. But I love that church, and T and I went there. And so this particular Sunday, back in 1998, Palm Sunday, um, I got up just like I normally would, got my hot chocolate, got my donut, sat back down, and Tia was here. And I don't know exactly how it went, but I turned towards her the same time she turned towards me, and I ended up spilling my hot chocolate all over her lap. Now, luckily, it wasn't scolding hot, but needless to say, she was a little frustrated with me. And a little embarrassed at the fact that she had to sit through the next hour-long worship service with wet, stained pants. Not exactly ideal. Well, here, there's a little bit more to this story that I want to let you know about because T and I met the first day of freshman orientation in college. About a little more than a month later, we started to date. And a little more than three months after that, we were ready to say yes to forever. But just because we were ready at age 18 to say yes to forever doesn't mean our parents were ready. So we continued to date throughout college and had this long-distance relationship. And so on this particular Sunday, Palm Sunday, 1998, unbeknownst to Tia, I was going to ask her to marry me. Yeah. I had planned everything out to I mean, everything was planned to a T other than hot chocolate, of course. I mean, it was just ridiculous. I had everything planned, though, after church. We were going to go to lunch, which was going to be a throwback to this, our very first date. I had the special location picked out where I was going to propose. I had the ring in my pocket. I had even told some of her friends what was going down so that afterwards they could come and we could celebrate together. I planned everything. And now here I am with the woman I love, the woman I'm about to ask to marry me, and she cannot stand me right now. <laughs> now, I bet if you're in a seriously dating relationship or if you're engaged or if you've been married for more than five minutes, chances are good you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been in a similar situation. And sometimes we wind up hurting the person that we love. We don't mean to, but we end up hurting them. And people, as people, you know, we make mistakes. And when you're in a close relationship with somebody, that person gets the privilege of seeing just how messed up you really are. You know, when you first fall in love, it's so great. You're so infatuated with that person. You just love them. They can do no wrong. I mean, they are Mr. Right or Mrs. Perfect. Everything is glorious. But after you spend a little time together, you realize there's only so much you can hide. They get to know you. They get to know your issues. They get to know your struggles. They get to know your mess. And when they do, that ends up impacting them. It ends up hurting our relationships. And sometimes it's inadvertent, right? I mean, it happens by accident. We end up hurting the person that we love. But sometimes we do it on purpose. It might be out of our own hurt. It might be out of retribution. Sometimes, though, in marriage, you know, you can be in a fight, an argument with your spouse, and you can be going at it, and you know you're losing, like you are going to crash and burn, but you know there's a button you can push on your spouse that will totally change the game. 
and you push it. And it hurts. So we bring this hurt into our relationships. And here's the thing. People hurt people. And you don't have to be dating somebody. You don't have to be married to experience that because it happens in all of our relationships and it happens all of the time. People hurt people. I bet this morning there's probably more than one of you here who walked in and you're still reliving a moment from this past week. Something that somebody said, something that somebody did. And it's so real. That hurt and pain is so real in your life that it's clouding everything you do. So here's the question. What do we do in those moments when somebody wounds us? What do we do when somebody hurts us with their words or their actions? How should we respond? Maybe even further still, especially for those of us who are married or in, in serious relationships, what do we do when that person that we love hurts us again and again and again, because we, we do this, right, and, and this is our reality in marriage. We make the same mistakes over and over again. I don't know how many times T and I have to talk about my tone. I'm like, what's wrong with my tone? It happens all the time. It's a constant, re- constant reminder of my struggles, my issues. You probably have those same things. So what do we do when that same mistake comes up again and again and again? How do we respond to our spouse? Well, praise God. He has answers. And in the scriptures, in the book of Matthew, the biography of Matthew, chapter 18, Jesus addresses this issue directly. Starts off in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, I love Peter because Peter, whatever's on Peter's mind is coming out his mouth. I mean, he's going to tell it like it is. He's going to ask the question. And, of course, Peter right away gives us a, a pretty good response of how we're to respond when people hurt us. We're to extend forgiveness. He knows that. He also knows that at the time the rabbis taught that you should forgive somebody three times. And so I think Peter here is going, you know what, I'm really being generous here. I mean, I'm, I'm going to extend it up to seven, and seven's kind of a really biblical number. So maybe I'll just throw seven out there. So he throws seven out there to Jesus, and Jesus answers verse 22. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, some of your versions might not say 77. They might say 70 times seven. So you're like, okay, which, which is it? Is it 77 or is it 490? I mean, what, what's the magic number here for how many times I need to extend forgiveness to a person? And, of course, Jesus is not looking at a magic number He's trying to be a masterful teacher. He's trying to get across an idea. And the idea is this, that when somebody comes to us who's truly repentant, we should be willing to forgive them no matter how many times they ask. And, of course, this was a new idea. It's new, a new concept to Peter. It certainly was new to the disciples. It might be new to you this morning. And so many times when Jesus was trying to illustrate a new idea, he did it by telling a story. And so he starts with a story, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Boy, aren't you glad we don't live in New Testament times. Man, they, they were pretty hardcore there about debt. Like, you're in debt. There were serious consequences. 
Because the person who gave you the money, they could take you, take your family, force you to work until you paid off the debt. Or worse yet, they could take you and take your family and they could sell your family into slavery and reap the profits to help pay for the debt. So this servant right here, he's in between a rock and a hard place. But the story continues. Verse 26. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Whoa, little major turn of events here, right? Like he's begging, he's pleading, be patient with me. I'll figure out a way to get you the money. I know I can do it. And the master, the king, goes above and beyond. He does something radical. He cancels the debt entirely and lets him go. Now, if you and I, so, so one of the things we ought to know about this passage, it says that he owed 10,000 talents. Now, I'm no scholar, so ask a biblical scholar if you know one. But it's like millions and millions of dollars. That's how much he owes. So if you and I are in the same position, if we owe millions and millions of dollars, and all of a sudden the person who has lent us that money comes in and says, hey, I'm going to wipe your slate clean. You are free to go. Man, we are going to do the happy dance out that door, Right? We're going to go tell everybody. We're going to be posting on social media. We're going to do the whole Dave Ramsey, I am debt free, you know, scream. Like, that's what we're going to do because we'd be so excited about it. So what does this servant do? Verse 28. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, be patient with me and I will pay you, pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now we read that and go, wait a minute. The dude who just was forgiven millions and millions of dollars goes out from the master's presence. He finds a fellow servant who owes him a few hundred denarii, which is equal to a few thousand dollars. He puts him in a chokehold and he demands the money. And when he can't pay, he throws him into prison. You and I look at that and go, that guy is a hypocrite. And I don't know about you, but I read this story and I start to get a little angry. I'm like, man, that's wrong. That is totally wrong. Somebody needs to do something about this. Well, somebody does do something. Verse 31. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back everything he owed. So the other servants see the chokehold. They see the situation that's going down. They report it to the master. The master brings the servant in before him and says, what you've done is wrong. And he's angry about it. And because of his anger, he punishes him. He sends him off to be tortured until he can pay back the entire debt. Well, this is a story, right? Every story has a point. And Jesus gets to the point in verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Ouch. 
If you got one of those red letter Bibles, those words right there are in red because those are the words of Jesus. A pretty strong warning from him. Evidently, God the Father is pretty serious about this whole forgiveness thing. And see, you probably figured it out by now, but the story, to explain the story and how it really goes, the master in the story, the king, that's God himself. And the servants are all of us. And that first servant who comes in, who owes all of that debt, who owes all those millions of dollars, that servant is you and me. Because we have offended God over and over and over again, millions upon millions of times. We've been disobedient. We've been unfaithful. We've turned our back on him. We haven't honored him. We've done it over and over and over. And so we have a mountain of debt that we owe to God the Father. And so we're begging, please, God, let us do something. There must be something we can do. And God does something radical. He sends his only son to die on a cross so that you and I can have our debt completely canceled. Praise God. We owe nothing now because Jesus paid everything. Yes. Amen is right. To God the Father looks at us and says, you don't owe me anything. And that's the point. That's the point of this story is to, to help us understand that God has paid this massive debt that we were unable to pay. We could have never done it on our own, but he's done it for us on our behalf. But here's the catch. Here's what Jesus is driving at at the end of the story is God has given us his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, but we are then to extend that grace and mercy to other people around us. So when other people hurt us, with their words, when they wound us with their actions, we are to respond when they're truly repentant with forgiveness to extend it to them. That's why what I want you to know this morning, Good Shepherd, is this. Forgiveness says, you don't owe me anything. And man, in our world, that's a countercultural truth. Because in our world, when we're offended, when somebody hurts us, we feel like we're owed something, right? We feel like there needs to be payback. There needs to be repayment. And the world teaches us, you should get it. Get revenge. Get paid. Get something out of this situation so you can benefit. But God's word teaches something totally countercultural. It says, don't get revenge. Offer grace. Don't try to make the most of the situation so you can benefit. Extend forgiveness to the other person. It's a radical concept. Forgiveness says, you don't owe me anything. Now, since we're talking about what forgiveness is, I think it would also be uh, wise of us to talk about what forgiveness is not. Because I think we get confused sometimes around forgiveness. And one of the things we get confused about is we always say, forgive and for forget. Yes, forgive and forget. Trust me, Tia has not forgotten the great hot chocolate spill of 1998. <laughs> I mean, she, she's, has she forgiven me of it? Of course she has. But she reminded me of it on Palm Sunday a few Sundays ago. She's not forgotten it. When we get hurt or wounded by somebody, we remember it. So this truth of forgive and forget is actually not accurate at all. We need to forgive and remember. And we forgive and remember because we need to remember to forgive again. Because when somebody hurts us, that wound is going to rear its ugly head again and again and again. 
And each time we need to be willing to say, nope, I've forgiven. I've extended God's grace. I've extended mercy to that person, and I'm not going to let that hurt rise up again against me. Don't forgive and forget. Forgive and remember to commit to forgiving over and over and over again. Forgiveness says, you don't owe me anything. Another thing we kind of get confused when it comes to forgiveness is we think when we extend forgiveness to somebody, it's going to make our relationship better immediately. And that's because we confuse forgiveness with reconciliation. You see, there are two separate processes. Forgiveness is a choice that we make. It happens in an instant. But reconciliation is the process of rebuilding trust, of rebuilding the relationship with that person. And you can have forgiveness without reconciliation. You might have somebody that you forgive them for what they've done to you, but that doesn't mean you ever have a relationship with them again. But you cannot have reconciliation without forgiveness. The two are inseparable. So these are two separate processes. One is a choice. It happens in an instant. Forgiveness. The other takes time. It takes effort. It takes rebuilding of trust. Forgiveness says, you don't owe me anything. One final thing that we kind of mix up at times when it comes to forgiveness is we tend to think that forgiveness is something we do for the other person. And now when we extend forgiveness, we are extending grace to them for whatever it was that they hurt us with. But forgiveness is ultimately a gift you give to yourself. I heard a quote recently that unforgiveness is like taking poison, waiting for the other person to die. Because when you hold on to unforgiveness, it leads to a really miserable place. Because when you hold on to that hurt, you let that negative moment be relived in your heart and in your mind again and again and again, and it will make you miserable. We've got to learn that forgiveness, true forgiveness, is a gift we give to ourselves. So forgiveness. Forgiveness is saying, you don't owe me anything. Well, obviously forgiveness is a choice, something we choose to do. And whether we've been hurt by somebody, a family member, a coworker, a friend, maybe even our spouse, in that moment, when we're hurt, we're faced with a decision. We kind of come at a crossroads, at a fork in the road. And we have two options. And I kind of want to ask the question, well, what happens if we don't extend forgiveness? I mean, what happens if we choose to just go, no, I'm, I'm going to hold on to this? What happens then? Well, that is one option. If you hold on to hurt, you hold on to disappointment, you hold on to that frustration, that will always lead to anger and bitterness. Always. That's the path. And ultimately, it makes you miserable. And anger and bitterness, they have their own issues because they spiral. They spiral into all kinds of unhealth. And down that path, if you choose not to forgive, down that path is ultimately the death of that relationship because it can't sustain itself. That's one option. The other option is to choose forgiveness. It's to choose to extend grace and mercy to that person just like you've been extended grace and mercy. And when you do that, not only is there forgiveness, there's healing that happens in your own heart, in your own life. And 
It might be the beginning of healing that happens in the relationship. Now that takes time, that takes effort, but it can happen. Some of you here, you've been married with your spouse for many, many years. There might be years and years of hurt and pain. There might be years of unforgiveness and all that hurt and pain just keeps getting swept under the rug and you never really deal with it. And at this point, you've kind of become like roommates. But forgiveness is a choice. You can bring hope to your own heart and hope to your relationship if you're willing to take that first step. Yes, forgiveness is going to be a journey, but God's going to be with you. He can enable you and strengthen you to take that step to lead to a healthier relationship. One more thing I want to illustrate, and to illustrate this properly, I'm going to ask my wife Tia to come up on stage with me. If you didn't figure it out yet, she did say yes that day. And she felt horrible about how she... <laughs> well, when we're, when we're talking about hurt and um, woundedness, especially in a marriage relationship, a lot of you can easily sit there and you immediately start thinking like this. Like, she's hurt me. He has hurt me. He has wounded me. He's done this to me. And this is what we do in marriages, right? I mean, we point, we blame, we claim our marriage would be better only if she changed. But here's the problem with that kind of thinking. The problem with that kind of thinking is that this is a truth. It's true of me and it's true of all of you. I cannot control her. No. I mean, I've tried. I've tried for 23 years. I've tried. I'll probably try again tomorrow, and I'll probably fail again. But I cannot control her. There's no way. <laughs> it's because I don't like being told what to do, and I'm sure no one can relate to that, right? But here's the thing. Like, I can not like being told what to do, but I will sometimes try to tell Devin what to do, but that doesn't work either. He doesn't, I can't force change on him. I can't control her. She can't control me. So round and round we go, right? But here's the thing. This is what we need to learn to do. We need to learn to draw a circle around ourselves. And we need to get inside that circle and say, I'm going to work on everything that I can control. Because only I can control my attitude. Only I can control my behavior. Only I can control my thinking. Only I can choose to extend forgiveness. And I think in marriage, what we try to do is we try to always go towards the other rather than looking at ourselves and letting God speak change into our own heart. And trust me, when you start to look inward at your own struggles, at your own issues, at all the bad things you bring to the relationship, your heart will begin to change. And it won't just begin to change in your relationship to yourself. It will begin to bring healing and hope to your relationship with your spouse. Some of you might be sitting there going, oh, I'm, I'm waiting for him to move. I'm waiting for her to initiate forgiveness. You can't control them. You can control you. You choose to take the step towards hope, towards healing. God will give you strength. And it could change your relationship it could change your marriage. I hope and pray that that's the case 
for you. Because forgiveness says, you don't owe me anything. Thank you, sweetie. Just imagine if in our... (laughs) Just imagine if in our marriages, when we're wrong, first of all, that we communicate that to our spouse. But secondly, we're willing to extend grace and forgiveness to them right away. Imagine if that's our approach. Think about that if we do that with our family members, maybe even extended family members, that where you've been in hurt and pain because of brokenness from years past. Imagine if you were to extend forgiveness. You were to take the step. Imagine what that could do in your relationship with your family members. Parents in the room, imagine if your kids didn't just see you argue and fight as a couple. Imagine if they heard you say to one another, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? That'll shape a young heart. More than anything we do in this church for your kids, you exemplify that in your marriage, it will change your child's heart. And they need it because they need that kind of example. Imagine if our marriages change, if our families change. Imagine if things change even here with our relationships with other believers. There might be somebody here in this church you have tension with. You need to seek forgiveness for a hurt that you've caused or you need to go and extend forgiveness to them. Imagine how our community might change. Broaden it out. Imagine how our community around here would change. Imagine how the city of Charlotte would be different if we were to be the kind of people who extended grace and mercy instead of always wanting to get repaid, to get what we owed. See, God, who is rich in his mercy, has given us such grace because we owed an unfathomable debt that we could never pay. So he canceled it. And he enables us and empowers us to extend that same forgiveness to others. Forgiveness says, you don't owe me anything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the truth of your word. Lord, I thank you that stories that were told by Jesus so long ago are so applicable to our lives today. And when we take that principle, that truth, we allow it to transform our heart and change our mind. It not only changes us, God, it changes our relationships. It can change even our community. God, we want to be those kind of people. We want to make our families better, our marriages better. But God, we want to represent you well to the world around us. Lord, when we extend your grace, your mercy to others, I pray that it would bring glory and honor to you. In your name we pray, amen and amen.